Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome to yet another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends Podcast, the show that brings you hacks, tips, tricks, thought leadership for sales, marketing, and customer success. It's brought to you by Global Performance Group. Uh, we are a revenue improvement boutique that helps behavior change uh, and provides behavior change, shall I say, to salespeople to provide the competence and the confidence as well as the courage to engage in better sales and negotiation conversations and sell based on customer outcomes. My name is Harry Kendelbach. I'm one of the founders. And today I have with me Oliver Tate, who is the Global Head of Growth Enablement at Denso. Welcome to the B2B Sales Trends Podcast, Oliver. Thanks, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here. Fabulous. Oliver, uh, take a couple of uh, minutes to introduce yourself and share with us what Denso does. Um, uh, that will be great. Yeah, Harry, I've um, I've been at Denso for nearly a year now. Denso, it's a Japanese-owned multinational advertising PR agency. So we provide full service to our clients from creative through media planning through to the CX and also business BX. Um, as, and we've just acquired a new production house called Tag as well. So everything from, from soup to nuts for, for advertising and execution around there. I head up um, growth enablement, which in other organizations may well be called revenue enablement. It's about taking, as you would do in any business, getting our people to sell better. That's what I that's what I do. And we provide the tools, the processes, and the technologies to help people on that journey. Fabulous. There, there's always a bit of a divide between sales enablement, growth enablement, revenue enablement. Um, solve that mystery for our listeners, if you would. Yeah, I, I think now, um, I, I just noticed, I think this week, that the, the Sales Enablement Society has renamed itself the Revenue Enablement Society. So I think oh, really? Okay, interesting. Recognizing... That it, it's not in a silo anymore. You know, my my previous one of my previous jobs was VP of Revenue Enablement for another organisation, and we're seeing now that sales enablement just cannot sit in a vacuum by itself. You've got to draw together the separate strings. Clearly, there there are elements to it. So technology forms part of it. So getting your platform right, making sure that's in there and correct, making sure that your people are skilled and they have the right elements in there, and also tying into marketing and the collateral that you provide around it. You need that holistic view of that revenue enablement process. So, you know, part revenue cop, part part IT person, part trainer, part developer, and part marketeer come together to provide all of it. And having that overview is key. It doesn't mean that you don't have specialists in each of those functions, but bringing it all together to support the sales organization is absolutely key. And we're seeing that now. So we, we used to see, you know, 10 years ago, there were probably very few sales enablement jobs. You know, you'd see trainers, you'd see um, sales ops. And now... You, you're seeing people being recruited as sales enablement managers, sales enablement leads, and that's now being replaced by people with revenue enablement. So they want people to sit across the entire business and draw their strengths together. And I think that's where the business is going. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've recently had a podcast with uh, with Dan Hayden, ex-Google, now DocuSign. Uh, he shared a very, very similar view that it has to be enablement across the different functions and it, and you need to be able to pull it all together. That's great. Yeah. Um, Oliver, can you share 
some insight. Uh, so uh, we've done a little bit of, you know, uh, research on you and we know you have a background in psychology. Share a little bit uh, about your journey from, from that background in psychology and technology that you, you've had to becoming a, a revenue enablement or growth enablement executive and, and leadership coach. Yeah, and I, I, I've never met anybody yet that woke up in the morning and said, "I want to go into revenue enablement." It, it seems to be one of those <laughs> right. things that that, that 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 drags you into it. Now, my my career, um, I started as a computer scientist. I'm I'm not scared to admit it. Plenty, plenty of people do, but I started out doing computer science. Went into consultancy and did a, a chunk of time consulting in the in the in the tech world, and then into more general management consultancy before going into sales within a um within a systems house so falling from that that tech realm systems i felt that i actually enjoyed talking to people which may be strange for some computer scientists i'm going to offend some of them now um but part of that working with people piece which i've always enjoyed led me to spend some time doing training development within organizations i wanted to do it professionally so then i retrained and did more work as a, with um as a psychologist so i was able to bring better informed interventions into the work that I was doing. So for me, it was a personal development journey. So I, I've, mm. I've worked in the the bits and bytes. I've sold the bits and bytes. I've managed the bits and bytes projects and then decided that what I enjoyed doing was really working with people and, and helping them get through it. So I retrained as a psychologist. I did my postgrad in coaching and behavioral change to, again, work at a higher level and help other people through that journey. Because I believe that one of the most fundamental skills you can have to bring about change is coaching and coaching means more in terms of return on investment than I think any other intervention that we put in place. And we'll, we'll probably talk about it later, but mm. if you're doing any change program and we, we know this back in the day when I first started training, I thought it was great. I just turn up, I put all my thoughts on a, on a slide because I'm that old, you know, it was on acetate, you'd print them out, you'd stick them on, stick them on a projector you you put 20 bullet points up and people just magically absorb the the knowledge that you're putting in front of them because that was it you know i was the expert this is my knowledge you're just taken on board you'll read the bullets you'll be transformed and you'll go away um and you know maybe 20 30 years ago we thought that was that was the way that training was and that was the way that training was done to us so we we just did it and right. um, we know nowadays that's just rubbish you know people don't pay attention during presentations they don't read the slides unless you actually process information, this is back to the psychology, unless you process the information and give credit to it and make it relevant to the person, they will do nothing with it. And right. the only way to really embed change is through coaching, through post-event. So if, if we spend all of our budget, I'm sorry, Harry, if we spend all of our budget on a training intervention and do nothing with it afterwards, then that budget is wasted. And yeah, I know you know this and I'm, I'm it's your podcast and I'm not really going to plug the business, but I know that you you've also understand the importance of coaching and when you put it in your programs that you have to have that post-event activity to embed it to make it relevant to make it real and to help people leverage the investment that they get from it and it forces people through so yeah absolutely coaching is one of those things that, that that's absolutely key and I, I think it's through experience that you 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 learn that I, again nobody right. wakes up and says hey you know i want to be a sales coach you you get the experience, you understand how things work, and then you look at the best ways of transferring that knowledge on and helping other people. As I say, my job is just to help people sell better. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for the for the plug plug here. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting. I'm I'm really passionate about the fact that it's not about the what anymore. 
It's about mm-hmm. the how. Yeah. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, you, you type in sales skills, coaching skills, negotiation skills, whatever it is into Google, you get 20,000 videos. It's not a lack of telling people what they have to do. It's really a, a lack of how are people using that what and how are they applying it and how, what difference can that make in it? So shifting that training mindset from, mm-hmm. I tell you what you have to do to, let me coach you on how to do it and how to apply it. That's that's something that is really well received with uh, with uh, uh, the learning community at this stage. I agree, and I think part of uh, part of the learning community can be quite um, well, you know, passive, and also don't always do the best for the customers. We we you've got to work in this industry more as a consultant than as a service provider. If you let yourself be treated as a service provider, then quite often right. money is wasted. And we're seeing this with 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 Dr. Google. People will will, will Google their symptoms and will go to the doctor yeah. and say, hey, you know, I've got disease A. I need right. I need medicine B and that right. will solve it. And the, the doctor will quite often say, whoa, let's just step back a bit here. Let me let me take a proper history. Let's understand what's going on. And then we can work out a course of treatment. And it's happened to me before in, in different roles where I've, I've been in organizations and they said, hey, you know, Oliver, we need a negotiation skills program. Well, why do you need negotiation skills? Well, we, you know, we're, we're, look, look at our margin. You know, we're, we're losing money on deals. We're, 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 we're bleeding when it comes to the close. Perfect. And it would be very easy to say, yeah, that's a negotiation. You can improve your margin with yeah. a better negotiation program. That'll, that'll give you a couple of points. But when you dig back in and you understand that people – in the further at the funnel haven't even got the value prop right they don't understand how right. what they're doing is going to affect the outcome of the customer they can't position their products effectively they can't position the offering so when you get back down to the close all you've got is that little levers that you've got in negotiation to to try and squeeze the margin rather than presenting proper value up front and doing a proper value sell it's that so what you don't need is negotiation what you need is is value positioning value selling training up right. front and sure negotiation would help when you get towards that bottom end but as we all know as as deals go down the funnel the effect of what happens at the top of the funnel is magnified as you get to the bottom so you know a couple of percent at the top of the funnel is worth 20 percent down the bottom of the funnel and that's what we need to focus on and that is the the responsibility of a good revenue enablement person is working holistically across that funnel and not taking things at face value when the when the business comes to you. And you can only do that if you become a trusted partner of the business and they respect the advice and the returns that you bring to the organization. It's interesting. The uh, We face this all the time, right? People come to us and say, we need consultative selling. We need this. We need that. We need negotiation skills and so forth. And usually you throw them off completely when you say, okay, what's the actual problem that you want to solve? Absolutely. Why does this problem occur? What is the business issue that is connected to that? And people are like, we actually use that technique pretty pretty nicely now uh, by getting to the stakeholders that we need to get who own the business problem. Because a lot of the time, the people who reach out to us are basically uh, people who who have been asked for uh, to solve a certain issue, but they don't dig deeper. And I think even in the revenue enablement part, you need to be able to uh, really understand why this problem exists. And is that 
is that really a quick plaster that you put on or are you really tre treating the symptoms? And that's that's the key issue. And you, you, you hit another really good point there, Harry. Quite often people expect instant results and sometimes it's almost training by uh, by by abdication. You know, poor, poor managers will say, look, yeah, my, my, my person's not negotiating. Well, if, if I invest a whole two days on a negotiation program, then um, they'll come back a completely revised individual. And, and, and if, if they're not negotiating after those two days, like a pro who's been doing it for 30 years, then obviously it's the fault of the program. And that's, that's where it's gone wrong. And we know that the good managers will sit down with a seller. If, they, if, if you're in a seller relationship, they'll sit down with a the seller. They'll look at the skills that they've got. They'll look at the deals that they're running. They'll look at the interventions that they've had. They'll understand where their seller is in that, in that piece. They can work out an intervention plan and understand what they need their person to do differently to get things along the funnel and work at one element at once and set some metrics around it. And if you do that as a manager, you've got an idea of what the development program is going to be. You understand it's not going to be an instant transformation. And what's more important, you can support the seller on their journey through that change. And that means not just saying, oh, we've got a negotiation program for you. It's about, well, we do realize, you know, maybe you need to improve your negotiation skills because your value selling's is, is up to spec, but we notice that, you, you, that you're leaving perhaps some money back on the table. Let's look at this program together. Let's understand what the pre-work is and how I can support you through that, how I can get you ready to go into that. And when I've been through similar situations, this is what I've done. How are you going to approach it? What do you mm -hmm. want out of it? What are, you, what are you going to do differently as a result of going on the program? When they've been on the program, you can then review the outcome of the program, look at the takeaways from that program with them, and plot out a coached approach to implementing those skills as they go through. And that's what a good manager will do. They will invest their time in the people. They shouldn't be spending time selling. They shouldn't be spending their time writing spreadsheets. They should be spending their time coaching and developing their people. A poor manager will be sitting in front of either Salesforce or their own spreadsheet, berating people for not hitting the targets and not investing in them and not pushing them along. And those are the managers whose people tend to leave the organization, who tend to get the poor performance. And you'll, you'll see that time and time again. Right. It's interesting what you said about the, that sort of behavior change process. We call it behavior change process, blended mm -hmm. learning, what we've sort of touched on and the different steps in, in the whole process. You know, one of the things that that I'm super keen on, but rarely ever happens is when we do, you know, behavior change process. And I think it comes down also to the uh, to the coaching part that you've mentioned is to, to really communicate up front why we are doing this. You yeah. know, what, what, what's the outcome that we desire from this uh, behavior change process that you are going to uh, enter right now? What kind of real deal are you going to bring? And let's review that if that's a good one to, to, uh, to bring to something like a selling or negotiation, whatever it is, uh, mm -hmm. intervention here. Uh, but that communication up front rarely ever happens and we really have to push our partners and our clients to to that and instead of just getting an invite oh you're going to be in a workshop for two days um do you see that also as as a key thing as part of any uh, behavior change approach absolutely if, if people if people don't want to change they won't change and that's the it's the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the old 
So the old joke, you know, how many social workers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, one, but only if the light bulb really wants to change. And you could say the same with the the same with salespeople. Um, sometimes, you, again, looking at looking at the, the, the spectrum of people, you you will always have your top tier of sellers who sell no matter what, whether they do it through through magic or whatever. You don't understand, but they've they've got that something, and they just fly through the deals and they do a lot of this stuff naturally. You've got another strata sales, probably at the bottom, that maybe don't really want to change, don't really want to be there, and aren't mm. aren't receptive to it. And even if you plan out with them, yeah, they're not going to move. But there's a big chunk of people, you know, 80 percent or more in the middle, that will buy into change, that want to do it. Mm. Though all adults will only learn if it's applicable to them, if they can see the value in what they're doing. So it's it's our job as enablement people to help them understand what the value is and what the journey is. And also contract with them because um, mm. I, I, you know, Harry, I know you're you're, you're a fit guy and you're in you you you're running triathlons. You know, I would love to run a triathlon, but no, I know I'm not going to do it if I get out of the box. There's got to be a you know, why would I want to do it? What's it? What's in it for me? And I've got to then understand and buy into that training program that's going to get me there. So if you if you want that gold medal, if you want it, well for me, if I want to get around without a heart attack, what am I going to have to do? to get there you know what are the steps and i'm going to have to sign up to put those hard yards in or hard meters or whatever to get there and if you don't make that contract up front with the people that you're taking on the journey they're not going to move so it's back to this oh here's you, you're going on a negotiation course in two weeks time here's your pre-work see you then love to see you not good enough not really going to impact it and you gets be surprised how many people that still uh do that exactly in the way you've just yeah. described and uh, it, it's something so small but so important that people yeah. easily can implement. Um, it, it's interesting. Share with me a little bit, if you would, as we're on that that subject right now. Um, I know you've done a lot of sort of sales improvement programs, behavior change programs, and so forth. What are sort of the key elements of an intervention that you would say, hey, we have we have an issue with that element in the sales process. We're going to implement the change program now. What are sort of the key steps, elements that you have seen that work really well to get that behavior change that people are looking for? Um, and I th- well, for this, I think we're about seven habits of highly effective people. Start with the end in mind understand what you want people to do differently as a result of the program so that 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 needs to be your, your north star your goal what are we going to do what what are we going to measure as well so set yourself some some kpis that, that's on the track or some kpis for overall but you want some metrics in there so what right. you know, what things are going to change as you go through what's the end kpi going to be so how are we going to tie it to that what behaviors do we need to see and work backwards from there so it's all then about saying, well, what can we do to affect the KPI? What change do we need to see in the people to get to that behavior? And then it's a change process. How do we explain that to the people that are going to go on the journey? So it's 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 up. So it's it's partly, you know, what's the journey going to be? How do we explain it to them? What interventions are we going to put in place? And we we know now that the the the, the five day, the three day residential program is dead. You know, COVID. Um, it was dying before, but COVID put an end to that completely. And we're mm-hmm. we're into a blended learning model, whether we like it or not. And we're into okay. some e-learning as well, whether we like it or not. And I think in its place in a structured program, it's it's great. But it's it's back to the, oh, here's a video to go and watch. And he said there's a lot of content on YouTube. 
watching mm. a video will not move the needle. We're, we're back to this 20 points right. on, a, on, on a on a PowerPoint. If you set people up with a piece of work that they need to do that says, look, you're going to watch this video. This has got these important skills in, which is going to get this outcome to make the most of it. You need to focus on A, B, and C. You'll go right. through it. We will then run a session either online or maybe in person if we can but it's going to work on the pre-work that you've got in there we're going to take that we're going to apply it to a real deal we're going to apply it to a real situation Mm. and then that's what's going to move forward so that whole blending learning process is about bringing the best and i'll be honest making economies because you know flying people in for five or ten days doesn't really doesn't work anymore but we will use all the tools that we've now got in the box e-learning blended learning online learning plus some face-to-face plus remote sessions to get to that place. But it's all about understanding what the outcome is going to be, getting people bought into the outcome, getting the intervention right to achieve the outcome and taking people on the journey with you. And love it. Finally, if you're if your executive management isn't on board, then you're not going to get anywhere. So it's it's got to be completely aligned with that. If um we you know lots of people in certainly in the tech sales business um not so much in advertising that but in in tech sales bought into medic medpick call it what you will continuous right. qualification you know loads of people use it it's a very common um yeah. continuous qualification method brings a lot to deals i love it um if your senior management aren't bought into that if they don't see the value of it then there's very little point in you working through it with the reps take them through the process because if it doesn't come up in QBRs, if it doesn't come up in deal reviews, if it doesn't come up in pipeline reviews, then they feel that it's wasted, that there's no need for them to do it. They won't invest in it. Some people will do because they'll see that they will see as their deals close that they're getting value from it, but you need that continuing enforcement from top. And that that is absolutely essential. So if you if you're going to run any program, there needs to be agreement that this is what it's going to be. This is the KPI management are on board with it they will be supportive and i don't mean just recording a video to kick off the session at the start of it and glad hand people at the end of it they've got to be absolutely embedded in the process put budget behind it too uh obviously it drives obviously. uh mm-hmm. it drives an important element nobody you can't do that all internally yourself it's interesting that you uh that you quote the um opportunity qualification part and uh, mm-hmm. you know medic is something that's implemented everywhere now and and it's interesting i think it goes back a little bit to what you said before a lot of the times we hear oh we need an opportunity qualification and i think don't get me wrong it's hugely important to do that mm-hmm. um but it only works also when you get the skills to execute that oh um, absolutely you know and and, yeah. and an opportunity qualification won't get the potential customer or the potential or the prospect of their current status or to buy right the, it, it's a combination of both that really work and that that's is that similar to what you've been seeing absolutely i, I think you know you, you touched on medic if you've if you've got the, the, there's, there's a couple of strands to this one is You've you've got to be able to get the information out of the out of the customer in a way that is not oh can you tell me a budget you know what's your, what's your process for closing this you know right. <laughs> what, what is there, there is that skill in questioning to understand the customer situation to do discovery in a gentle way that is not forced that is not there and right. it does you know I've been in sales obviously selling companies try to sell to me or sales training companies try to sell to me and they're there sure. and you know. 
And I say, look, shall I make this easy for you? Should we just go through the medic questions? Because I know that's what's on your tick list and you're trying to do. <laughs> I bet it, you're a nightmare buyer. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lovely buyer because I, I, I sympathize a, a lot are. with the side of it. But um, but I do find that yeah, if you've spent your time in, in sales training, as I have before, you know, doing right. more general enablement management, that you're, you're, you're there almost ticking off people's sales skills as they're going through it. You find it very difficult not to do that or to, to rate the, the people as go through. But they... That that piece about medic, you, you've number one got to be able to elicit the information that's there, and yeah. you're right. It doesn't guarantee you're going to close the deal. It's a qualification piece. It allows yeah. you to get out if you haven't got the information and to stop in the bluntest possible way wasting your time on a deal that may not close or, or stands a lower chance of closing. We're we're in a numbers game. We need to invest our time in those deals which are more likely to go to the bottom of the funnel and invest time more wisely in doing that because it's a finite resource so getting the right information out is one thing then having the courage to drop those deals where they're not there last organization where i put medic in place um it it works because all the deals that we closed in one quarter had a complete template we'd gone through they had the information all the deals that slipped did not have up-to-date medic information so it's there so the ones that closed we knew where we were with the deal we kept on top on, on track with it it went through and it closed the ones where people had invested in it or they couldn't get the information they were mm. slipping and then you make the decision well are we actually going to get this deal do we kill it now or do we do we move it forward and right. that's where we we start looking more at revenue now because you're looking at the pipe in the context of everything that's surrounding yeah. it rather than just got to have this deal in place you you look at it in totality and you that's why you need the metrics as well and the reporting to keep on top of that that pipe Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we're almost at the end of our time here, and uh, we've uh, uh, and and uh, due to tradition, I'd like to ask the final question uh, with uh, to you is is you know in your experience, and you've seen elite sellers, really good salespeople. You've seen bad salespeople too. You know, what are the top three skills or behaviors that elite salespeople do really, really well to make them elite salespeople? The top three skills or behaviors that you think people need to possess in this day and age to sell really well, what would those be? There's two, and then there's one which is intangible. But I'll I'll say, number one, it's, it's discipline. The 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 sellers, you know, back to your triathlon training now. The the people that invest in the time to be better, so they mm. they they keep on top of their pipeline, they set their calls, they are rigorous about moving things down the pipe. They're rigorous about setting up appointments. They chase the customers, and they are very disciplined and focused in what they want to achieve. So they, you know, back to a, begin with end in mind, know what you want to achieve, sticking to it. I see plenty of salespeople who are not particularly. Um, who are not particularly, um, yeah, disciplined in what they've what they've got. Um, I think. Sorry, that's my phone going. You have to cut this out <laughs> to start again. That's so, right. I'll that's right. Yeah. So I, I think. Um, so that yeah, three things. First thing is discipline. So we need salespeople who are disciplined. And yep. um, oh, it's going to go off again. I'm just going to hang up. You're right. Third time lucky, we'll we'll cut it. Okay. So firstly, discipline. Understanding what you want to achieve, staying on top of it, being 
rigorous in the way that you approach your sales, sticking to the process that you've got and not letting things slip. And, you know, we're, I don't play golf, but I know a lot of people, you know, want to play golf on a Friday afternoon and getting off and just letting that go. The planned salesperson will, if they're going to go and play golf, they will make sure that their homework is done before they play. And that's something that I've seen. So absolute focus, discipline, personal discipline on top of it. Secondly is knowledge, understanding the market that you're in, understanding your customer, understanding the pressures that are there, and understanding how what you're proposing moves them forward. So what does mm. it mean for your customer? So you need to understand everything that's around there and investing in that product knowledge piece and being there. The third thing, it, it's quite, um, it's, it's that, je ne sais quoi, that some salespeople have. You, you walk in the room, some people, you know, you look at them and they've got that charisma, they've got that little halo around them. People buy from people. And if you have those mm. almost innate people skills that draw people to you, that helps as well. I'm not talking about being the slimy salesman that's there, but some people you, you look at them and they they've got some charisma, there's something around them, yeah. and that just eases them through. Um, right. It's it's probably the, the 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 secret sprinkle that's on the top. However, if you possess the discipline to succeed, if you invest in the knowledge that you need with your customer and what you're selling, then that's the icing on the cake. But the, the, some people just seem to have that as well, and whether they've learned it, whether they've practiced it. I don't know, but it's right. it's the thing that carries them through. And I think that I couldn't agree more with your discipline, knowledge, and the, that extra little bit that you know uh, the, you called it charisma. Uh, mm-hmm. Could be aura. Could be something that helps people to um, you know to to be curious. You know, I always yeah. say this is not a difficult thing. Just be curious. Want people to uh, and help. Uh, want people to help them yeah i think if you can do those two things truthfully and honestly that's half of the rent the rest I, comes uh, the rest agree. comes with it did he, did he steal that from me i think i stole it from somebody else so the, the old mantra is you know always be closing it's not it's always be curious always be curious always no be curious. i uh, i think i got that from you so <laughs> there you go and i probably stole it from somebody else which is that whole sort of um enablers breaststroke you just take it in and you you, you share it out again but it, it, it's absolutely true i mean yeah closing is important but making people feel wanted by asking them questions and right. understanding more about them helps with that relationship piece absolutely exactly clear. exactly couldn't agree more with you Oliver, thank you so much uh, for your fabulous insights. We'll probably do a follow-up on this because I know there is a lot more stuff to come out of uh, uh, and uh, to be shared with the knowledge with uh, with uh, our listeners here. Our listeners really appreciated your input. I know they will. I know they are. So thank you so much. A call to action for everybody is to uh, execute the top three things and think about that a little bit in terms of how your people, how yourself uh, are using that discipline, that knowledge and that natural curiosity. Uh, So thanks everyone for tuning in again until the next episode. Be brave, be curious, be courageous and happy selling everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Harry.